less of us, more of you. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, we pray right now as we go to your word that you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, second half. We'll be picking up where we left off last week, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. I want to encourage you, as always, the Bibles, if you need one, um, they're free. Help yourself. We want you to read the Bible more than on Sunday and Wednesday. Amen? Amen. Read the book, Don't Wait for the Movie. Be in God's Word every day. It's God's heart. He loves you guys. He didn't give it to us so we could uh, have it collecting dust. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, we're going to continue looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. If you're, just by way of quick review, if you're going to remember that this is a church made up of mainly new believers in a very godless place. It was a city that Paul had only visited for three short weeks. But these people, though they had only been exposed to seemingly a small amount of the gospel or a small amount of God's word, they had soaked it all up. You know, I'm amazed. I meet people that have been Christians for 20 years, and I meet people that have been Christians for a month. And sometimes the people that have been Christians a month are more on fire and have more a grasp of God and His word than people have been saved for many, many years. May that not be so of us, amen? Maybe people, men and women, who hunger and thirst for God's Word and for righteousness. Well, these people have gotten saved real good, as my dad would say. Not just saved, but saved real good. On fire for God, a heart for Him. And it, and it was necessary because they were facing a great deal of persecution. If you'll remember that the city was filled with idolatrous worship, also with the religious Jews of the day who were persecuting them and mocking the Apostle Paul, because he'd only been there for three weeks, had been forced to flee out of fear for his own life, and no doubt attacks were coming saying, where is your Apostle Paul now? He left you guys. Why do you continue to stand for him? Well, this letter is written because Paul responds, having found out that they're doing well. It's such an encouragement to him because he had been chased out of Thessalonica. He'd been chased then out of Berea. He's now in Corinth. He sent word back to them. Word comes back to him that they're doing well. And he's writing this letter to encourage them. And we're going to finish up the third chapter and get into the fourth chapter this morning. And the first three chapters are him encouraging them in their faith. But when we get to chapter four this morning, he's going to start exhorting them to action. Because, guys, it's one thing to be encouraged about what God has already done, but we need to be exhorted that God can do even more. Amen? Amen. No matter where you're at spiritually, God has more He wants to do in your heart. Paul had only spoke to them for a short amount of time, and yet they had grasped it. And there was a depth that they could stand in the midst of difficulty. We We talked last week about how to stand in the midst of trials. Standing fast when you're facing suffering and difficulty and the opposition. And just by way of quick review, remember the main points were, how do we stand in times of difficulty? Number one, by letting others stand with us. Paul sent Timothy to the people of Thessalonica. Guys, Christianity, again, as you've heard me say many times, is not for the Lone Ranger. You know, if you're going through a difficult time, you need to surround yourself with some godly friends to hold up your hands to encourage you. Get some prayer, amen? Gather together with other believers Getting you alone and isolating you is what the enemy loves to do. 
Also, not only by letting others stand with you, but recognizing that your trials are divine appointments. Well, I'll tell you what, it puts a whole new face on everything when you realize that God not only allowed it, but directed it to happen, and He did it for a reason, and you know what? He will be glorified in it if we will simply let Him. Whatever you're going through right now, God knows, doesn't He? And whatever's coming, God knows what's coming. We may be surprised God never is, and it should bring a peace to our hearts to know that God is faithful, that He's in control, and He allows these trials that in the end, that we might come to the end of ourselves, might be more desperate for Him, and in the end that He would be glorified in it. And then thirdly, our trials are a testimony to others. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 7, Paul said, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. You know, their faith comforted Paul in his time of difficulty. To hear of people that are doing well in their faith in the midst of trials is an encouragement to us. And you know what? God wants to use us to be an encouragement to others. Now, how in the world can we stay positive in the midst of trials? So often people think it's a platitude to say, well, God's in control. Well, you know, that works for you, but you're not living where I'm living right now, and you're not going through what I'm going through right now, and you don't understand what it's like to be me. Real easy for you to say that. Everything is wonderful in your life. But we need to understand that the key is having an eternal perspective. You know, as I've been praying this week, something that God has put on my heart for years, but God's putting it on my heart more and more, it's going to sound odd to you, but it's to look at my life backwards. And what I mean by that is as I pray, I often think of myself being in heaven and looking back at this life. And while I'm in heaven looking back at this life, what is it about this life that really mattered? What is it about this life that counted for eternity? And what is it about this life that I won't even remember in heaven at all because it meant nothing? And my prayer is, God, change my priorities to have them be things that impact eternity. Amen? And may we be looking backwards in life, looking from heaven backward, because we will one day, won't we? We will be in heaven, and we'll be looking back on this life, and when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And so the trials that we go through are an opportunity to impact eternity, and to have that eternal perspective changes the way that we can view these trials and struggles and difficulties of life. Well... We pick up in verse 8. I want to just review verse 8 because that's where we left off last week and then we're going to move on from there. But verse 8 says this of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. He says, if you stand fast in the Lord, it brings an encouragement to me. An encouragement to my own growth, my own testimony to others is that you're standing fast in your faith. You're standing fast in the midst of trials. You're not running away from God. The most foolish thing we can do as Christians is run away from God when things get tough. And yet so many times we do that. The enemy says, see, where's God now? So just run away from him. That's a great idea, by the way. The creator of the universe loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. His arms are open wide to you. The best thing to do when things are tough is run away from him. That's so foolish. And yet we do it. And we want to blame God. When we're going through trials, what we ought to do is run to God. You've heard that song, sometimes he calms the storms, other times he calms his child, right? You know, and he lets the wind and wave go, but he's there with you and you're not alone. And he says there, you know what? We now live if you stand fast. We are so blessed, he's saying, to know that you're standing fast with the Lord. He's encouraging them. He's blessed to see how they're doing, even though they'd only been walking with the Lord for a short time. 
As we come to this morning's text, we're going to pick up in verse 9. There's an emphasis now on coming, becoming more proactive. He said, okay, you guys have stood fast. Now it's going to be time to start walking. Standing fast in the Lord in the midst of trials, that's great. Holding on to the Lord in times of difficulty, that's wonderful. But you know what? The next step is not just to hold on, but to move forward. You've heard me say it many times, Christianity is like a grease pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. Nobody's staying in the same place, amen? You're either closer to the Lord today than you were last week or you're further away. And if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved, amen? It wasn't the Lord, it was us. And as we come to this morning's text, I was just, the words that are, are, are gonna, we're going to see emphasized are abounding and walking and abstaining and increasing. You know, Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundant. The Christian walk should be abundant, not stagnant, amen? And some of you, no doubt this morning, feel like your walk with the Lord is stagnant. You don't feel like it's any different than it was last year or the year before. You know what? It shouldn't be that way. You know, if you have a 12-year-old child and they're still crawling, something's wrong. And the same is true for us as Christians. We ought to be growing and maturing. And we ought to be closer to the Lord today than we were last year. As born-again believers, our passion shouldn't be to simply hold on, but to move forward, increasing in love and holiness and faith. Paul had this heart of a pastor, and he's so blessed that they're holding on to the Word of God. Remember chapter 1, he said, I just can't stop thanking God that you're holding on to His Word. I was only there a few weeks, I heard you're being persecuted, I was worried about you. The Word came to me that you're holding on to the Word of God. And you know what, that blesses me, and I'm thanking God uninterruptedly for the fact that you're holding on to the Word of God. You're standing fast in the face of persecution. But at the same time, his heart was that they would not grow complacent or stagnant or satisfied. He wants to see them growing and walking and moving forward. As I studied this week, I thought about us as a church. We're a fairly new church. It was six years ago in July that we started with a... With a four or five people came over here and we started a Bible study. But you know what I'm blessed? I'm blessed by the things that I have seen God do while we've been here. There are people in this room right now that have come to know Christ in this room. Amen? There are people going to heaven that were not when this church started six years ago. Hey, that's nothing better than that. Amen? So praise God that the kingdom of God is being added to. Praise God that the body of Christ is growing. Praise God that people's lives are being impacted for eternity. We should be excited about what God has already done. But we should never grow complacent in what God has already done. We should never grow stagnant. Well, I'm saved, got the get out of hell free card. I'm just cruising now. You know what? We ought to be hungry to go closer to Him every single day. Amen? This is the heart that Paul is writing what we're going to look at this morning. He's writing from the heart of a pastor who's thankful for what God has done already, but at the same time, he is exhorting them that there's more, that God has more. Now guys, it's not something new. It's more of what we already know. Amen? We don't need any new books. We don't need any new revelations. We got the book of Revelation. It's all in our hand already. Amen? Amen. We've got it. Just studying what's already in our hands. It's just accepting it and going further in our relationship with the Lord. We can't even begin to praise Him enough for what He's already done, let alone what He's going to do. May we fall more in love with Jesus. May we be more stirred up in our gifts. May we be more bold in our faith. May we be just so on fire for Him that we just don't care who else knows it. Amen? Amen? Too often, you know, we, everybody's undercover. Everybody's trying to be politically correct. You know, the Apostle Paul was not politically correct. Amen? 
Everywhere that guy went, you've heard me say it, revival or a riot, and often both. But yet we work, some of us have worked in the same place for 10 years and no one knows we're saved. That's not right. That's not us growing in our faith. That's not us being more bold in our love for Him. It is sweet. It is a blessing to know what God has done, but may we not grow stagnant in our walk with Him. My heart is I want to see more people saved. I want to see more people coming to know Christ. You know what? You may think I'm out of my... I really don't care about building Calvary Chapel at all. You know what I care about? Building the kingdom of God and seeing the kingdom of God added to. That's what's on my heart. As I'm driving down around Santa Cruz, I find myself at at stoplights weeping for the people in the crosswalk because I'm broken and burdened to see them saved. Guys, looking backward from heaven to earth, remembering when we get there, looking back on our lives, what's really going to matter? Let's focus on that. And that's where Paul's coming from. He's saying, guys, you've stood fast, but God has more. Paul prays and then he exhorts. And I like that. Imagine that. I like someone who would exhort people. (laughs) Now, living, I titled the message this morning, Living a Life that Pleases God. And the first thing we're going to see in the last part of chapter 3 is Paul praying for the people of Thessalonica. He's going to pray for them, intercede on their behalf. Then we get to chapter 4. He's going to go from praying to exhorting. Guys, there's a time to pray and there's a time to move. I've had people say, well, I've been praying about that. How long? Ten years. Time to move. Amen? Now continue to pray for the lost. Pray for 50 years if need be. Keep praying. But at the same time, there's a time for us to stop praying and start moving. Time to stop praying about whether or not we should be involved in a ministry and start putting feet to our faith. To their current circumstances, his prayer was that their faith would grow, that their love would abound, that they would live lives that are blameless and holy because Jesus Christ is coming back. By the way, Have you been paying attention to Israel at all? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Now, no man knows the day or the hour, but I'll tell you what. That's got biblical prophecy written all over it. Amen? And whether it comes about now or years down the road, the point is, isn't it amazing how much focus is on a place the size of New Jersey? Isn't it incredible? You know why that's happening? Because that's God's plan. And we ought to be, every time I read that stuff, I think, oh, man. Today may be the day. And come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we ought to live every day in anticipation of His soon return. Amen? Living like He could come back tomorrow, because guess what? He can. Amen? So let's pick up, and we're going to see, first, Paul praying for the saints, and then Paul exhorting them to abound more and more in godliness. And again, as he exhorts them, he's going to exhort them with three things, if you're a note taker, just to get you ahead. He's going to exhort them to abstain from sexual immorality, to be sanctified, set apart. He's going to exhort them to abound in brotherly love, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, he's going to exhort them to exhibit godly discipline. All of those are things that apply to us. So let's pick up in verse 9. Paul's praying for these precious saints in Thessalonica. They're already standing fast. They're doing well. They're doing wonderful in their walk with the Lord. They're they're a testimony to him. They're an encouragement to him. But he doesn't want them to grow complacent. Look at verse 9. Paul's going to pray first that their faith would be perfected. For what thanks can we render to God for you? 
for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that, you may, that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, you might read that and be discouraged. Wait a minute, I thought we were doing really well. And he writes, I want to come see you, and I'm praying that you may be perfected in your faith. How many of us in this room could be more spiritually mature than we are right now? Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you've got a lot of maturing to do. Because <laughs> here's the point. No matter where you are spiritually, we can always be closer to God. Amen? Amen? And we should not be discouraged by these kinds of exhortations that we need to get closer. We ought to be encouraged by them. Not discouraged by them. Because it's so true that we can be closer to the Lord. You know what I love about getting older? And I don't mind getting older at all. It doesn't bother me one bit. You know why? I'm just a little closer to heaven. Praise God for that. When you're going to live forever, 105 isn't old. Amen? Amen? But you know what I love? Is that I know that the older I get, as long as I continue to stay steadfast and seek the Lord, it just means I'm that much closer to Him every single day. So I'm looking forward, if the Lord tarries to the guy, I may become four or five years from now. Because I know I'm closer to the Lord today than I was five years ago, and I can't wait to be closer. You know, that's just my heart and my passion. And that ought to be where we're at, you guys. Not just marking time. Not just, oh, another day. Paid the bills. Just, you know what? Another day closer, amen? Another day deeper in my faith and in my walk with Him. The word here for faith refers to their daily walk with the Lord. We want to see your faith perfected, your daily walk with the Lord more mature, your relationship with Him more on fire. And you know what? He knows that that maturing may very well and most likely will come through what, do you think? Trials and suffering. Well, I want to grow my faith, but just no difficulties, Lord. <coughs> Choose one. You want to grow or do you want difficulties, Right? Both. You're going to have both. You get, you're going to grow or you're not going to have any, and you're going to have trials or you're not going to grow and you won't have any trials. But know that God brings them about, that He might be glorified and that we might be drawn closer to Him. And He says, I'm praying for you that your faith may be made perfect and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Again, you're doing well, guys, but you could be doing better. You're on fire for God, but you could be closer to Him. You're standing in persecution, but you could still mature more in your faith. You know what, guys? As a church, we're doing well. We can do better in our relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. And that's my heart, is that we would have an even greater impact on the world around us. So you not only praise that that through their suffering, they would be perfected in their faith, that their faith would mature them, but He also prays that their love would abound to others. Look at verse 11. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. If you remember back in chapter 1, one of the first things he said about him was, I hear about your love that you guys have for each other. Incredible. I'm blessed to hear that you are abounding in love to one another. And yet he is now praying that they would abound in love even more. You know what, guys? One of the best compliments we get as a body is people will often tell me they've never felt more loved at a church in their life. And I'll tell you what, I love to hear that. It doesn't always happen. I've had other people say they came and didn't feel very welcome. And you know what, guys? It shouldn't be a few seeking out the new people. The new pe- we, ought to, the, the, we ought to be fighting over new people. Amen? 
I saw him first, but just step off, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'd be surrounded, and I'm thinking, man, you know? And the point is that us as a body of Christ need to be reaching out, loving on each other, amen? amen. And when people walk in the door here, they, we don't love on them to try to attract them to this church. We want to love on them to reflect Jesus Christ. We want to love on them so they walk out of here knowing, you know what? Their God must be real because I see it in them. And he said, I want your love to abound even more. The word for love there, I'll give you one guess. What do you think it is? Agape. It is a selfless love. A love that esteems someone outside of itself greater than itself. He says, I want your agape to abound. You guys are doing well. You can do better. That's his heart. You're standing before the Lord, and you know what? You can mature more. You're loving one another. You can love each other more. Jesus spoke of love being an identifying mark of a true believer. He says this in John. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Later in John, 1 John, the apostle John emphasized the same principle saying, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Guys, we ought to be just be loving each other to death. Amen? Amen. And we, we need to get past all the petty stuff that divides the body of Christ. Amen. Just put all that away. That's what the enemy wants to do, is bring division. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But as Christians, we got Jesus in common, and the rest of the stuff doesn't really matter, does it? Amen. We need to just get over it. And so the point here is that he said, I want you to abound even more in love. Abound in love for one another. Show the kind of love that will impact the world around you. Let them see Jesus in you in the way that you love each other. Thirdly, Paul prayed that their suffering would purify their hope, their hope of heaven. Look what it says there in verse 13. So that, they, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with a reference of the, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Why? Because we need to be constantly reminded that we don't have the promise of tomorrow. Amen? Amen. And even if we're going to live to be a hundred, life is but a vapor, isn't it? It's amazing how quickly time goes by. It seems to me like Christmas comes like every month. I mean, the years are just bing, 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 right? Time is just but a vapor. And it really goes fast when you have kids. You blink and they're all growing. How did that happen? I keep telling my kids, you're total disobedience and rebellion because I told you to stop growing up and they just won't listen. <laughs> and the point is that our life is so short. Our life is so quick. And he's telling them, have hearts that are blameless in holiness. Why? Because the Lord is coming. Guys, we need to walk in holiness because we're going to stand before God very soon. It's unavoidable. We need to live lives that are blameless before the world. Why? So that we can be an example to the, to the world about our Savior. The heart must first be holy. By the way, holiness means to be set apart from the world. To be holy. We're going to talk about that in a minute. To be sanctified. But holiness does not come from the outside in, but from the inside out. The problem with most Cults, all cults are a problem, okay? But the problem is that there's this attempt to be good from the outside in. 
If I can just stop this habit, if I can just get rid of this behavior, that will help me to do better. You know what? You can get rid of every bad habit you've ever had in your life. You still got an S-I-N problem. Amen? Amen. It's got to be from the inside out. It's being transformed in my heart so that my behavior might change, not my behavior changing so that my heart will be transformed. It's not your behavior that changes you. It's coming into a head-on collision with Jesus Christ, being broken before Him, confessing Him as Savior, asking Him to come and rule and reign in your life, and then guess what? Everything else will change. You want to see somebody's life radically impacted, don't, don't talk to them about, you know, again, it's like, i got to take a bath before I jump into the shower. No, it's not. you got to change this behavior before you can come to God. You need to come to God just as you are right now. Amen? Aren't you glad we're sin abounds, grace abounds much more? No matter how much you've sinned, God's grace is greater. No matter how much it is. He that knows you best loves you most and does not blow you away. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever thought or done and He loves you anyway. You're His treasured possession. This is the God that we serve. He says, guys, you need to abound in holiness and blamelessness. You know why? You're going to be standing before God soon. And when we do, we will be accountable. Now, we're saved. We're going to heaven but you know what the Bible says in heaven, he's going to wipe away every tear. Does that make any sense? Well, I do, but I believe that there will be some tears shed as we enter into heaven because we could have done more to impact eternity. We could have done more. And I'm not, you know, some people struggle with that. Well, I don't want to pray too hard. I might have to go join Carrie in Africa. I'm not so sure I want to do that. You know what? We need to be witnesses wherever we go. We need to be just as bold a witness on 7th Avenue as you are in Somalia. Because the people on 7th Avenue need Jesus just as much as the people in Somalia. Amen? No matter where we are, we need to not go witnessing, but be witnesses. Paul's exhorting them to abound more and more in godliness. He's interceding on their behalf. Why? Because he wants to see them growing and maturing in their faith. Not just being happy with what's already happened. By the way, in a few weeks on a Sunday night, we're going to show Ventures in Faith. It's a movie about the history of how Calvary Chapel came into being, and it's an awesome thing. You should see it. It's where the Jesus movement came from. I mean, thousands of hippies getting saved, many of which became Calvary pastors. And you know, the point is that now millions have been impacted by the simple truth of just teaching the Word of God without compromise. So it's okay to look back and realize God has done great things, but we should never say, wow, God did something great. And that one, you know what? I want to see God do even greater going forward than what He's already done. And so this is moving on. As we get to chapter 4 now, he's going to move from the encouragement, I'm praying for you, to mature in your faith. I'm praying for you to walk in holiness. I'm praying for you that you will continue to grow. Now he's going to exhort them. And he's going to exhort them to take action. So, again, if you're taking notes, the first thing in this form of exhorta- uh, uh, exhorting them, number one, is abstaining from sexual immorality, to be sanctified and set apart. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Finally then, he's speaking pastorally, pastorally, right? You know, pastor says finally, and then you like all have hope that he's really going to almost be done. <laughs> and then he goes on for another half an hour. You know, I'll say in closing, you get all excited, start sitting up in your chair. <laughs> you know, I don't say that very often. We got comfortable chairs, where are you going? All right, here's the point. When he says finally then, though, what he's really, in the in original language, what it really means is furthermore. He's not about to be finished. 
he's moving on to another topic, but he is changing gears a little bit. He's moving from encouragement to exhortation. And it's this beginning of this new practical instruction section of the letter. First three chapters, encouraging them for what God's already done and how they're standing with the Lord. Now he's going to exhort them. And whenever someone's getting exhorted, I get fired up because I like it. Look what he says. We urge and exhort. See, I didn't make it up. He's exhorting them. We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that you would abound more and more. They're already abounding in faith. They're already doing well. But his heart was that they would continue to grow. He's not just imparting truth, but provoking them to take action. Paul had labored night and day during his short time there. He had delivered truth to them. He had educated them in doctrine. But now he's exhorting them to put feet to their faith. Guys, it's time for us to put feet to our faith. It's time for us to stop just being pew potatoes. Amen? You know, the biggest, fattest, best-fed sheep in town. I mean, at some point, you got to start doing something with it. Amen? Amen. The Dead Sea is dead because it's all inlet and no outlet. And too often, that's a lot of Christian lives. We're just getting fed. And, you know, we want to go to the church that's going to feed us the most. But I'll tell you what, if all we do is get fed, our lives don't change, we're not impacting the world, what are we really doing for the kingdom of God? How are we really impacting the world around us? This is Paul's heart. You guys are doing well, but guess what? I'm exhorting you to take some action. I'm exhorting you, start a Bible study at work. I'm exhorting you, start a Bible study on your high school campus. I'm exhorting you, reach out to your next door neighbor. I'm exhorting you, take your gifts and start using them for God's glory. I'm exhorting you, maybe you should get rid of some of your stuff so you can be more freed up to serve God more. He's exhorting them. Guys, take some action. Put feet to your faith, not just to believe in their heads, but to live it out in their daily life. True belief impacts behavior. If you say you believe something, but your behavior doesn't change, you don't really believe it. If you really believe that Jesus Christ could come back tomorrow, wouldn't you share your faith a little more than you do right now? Is that true or not? I'm confessing with you. Isn't that true? Why is that? Because, well, we, we say we believe it, but been hearing that my whole life maybe maybe you could but i probably won't you know what i mean and we get that kind of a mentality may god give us an urgency in our hearts because once he does come it's going to be too late to go back and reach out to that neighbor we've been praying about or that that co-worker or that unsafe family member let's do it today amen let's be exhorted to put feet to our faith. He says, abound more and more. Paul was thankful for their growth, but he still, again, was encouraging them to, to put feet to their faith. Our Christian maturity is never finished this side of heaven, as I said a little while ago. It's never finished. We never arrive. We always need to be abounding more and more. No matter how mature we may become, we must never grow complacent or think that we've arrived at our final destination. That won't happen until we get to heaven. We can always abound more. Then look what he says. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. The reference to the word of God and his commandments that Paul delivered to them, you receive the word from us, but that word ought to produce walking. Not just sitting. Not just contemplating your navel. Moving, amen? God's desire is that we would take in the word of God so we would live a different life. That we would, again, move. Remember, back in chapter, the first verse we looked at, 
this morning. He said, stand fast. Now he's saying, walk. You're standing fast, blessed us, but now it's time to start moving. Now it's time to do more than just be a Christian. To do more than just be someone who sits by and watches the world go by. A walk is not stagnant. The word walk there means to steadily progress, to move forward, to move deeper. A fruitful walk will result in responding in obedience to God's command. The Bible is not a book of suggestions. Amen? It's not the ten suggestions. It's the ten commandments. Amen? Now, we're not saved by keeping the commandments, but it's a sign of where we're at spiritually when we start living holy and set-apart lives. It's the Word of God. Following its commands and you will abound, is what he's saying, to please God. The basic desire of every man. Look what it says there. He says, walk and to please God. Guys, can I encourage you? That ought to be your number one focus in life right there. You've got to underline that in your Bible. To please God. The Bible says of Enoch that he walked with God and was no more because he pleased God. Can you have a greater testimony than that? It doesn't say he pleased man. It didn't say he was really popular. It didn't say he had a lot of stuff. It just said he pleased God. That is a great testimony. I mean, I think that would be great to have on your tombstone. But I don't think we, if, we, if we put it there, we'd be too arrogant and we need to be humbled. Amen? But hopefully we live lives that please God. We're all pleasing somebody. You know, man outside of Christ lives to please himself. Is that true or not? It's all about me. How is it going to impact me? And we're all about us. I'm always on my mind. It's always about how it's going to impact my life. Man and dwelt by Christ ought to understand that the purpose for their walk and manner of living is to please God and not ourselves. You know, the reason that we have such a struggle in the church today is we're trying to be worldly and godly at the same time. We use the world's standards for success. You think anybody who sells all they have and goes to the mission field is going to be looking back from heaven, regretting it? You think anybody who kind of cut down on some of the things the world says is important and pursues God instead is going to get to heaven and be bummed out? But I'll tell you this much, there's going to be some multi-millionaires and billionaires if they know Christ in heaven that might be really bummed out that they spend all their time chasing money because guess what? You don't take it to heaven with you, amen? Have you yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Amen? Doesn't happen. You're going to heaven, and the only thing you're taking with you is people, not stuff. But you would think that stuff is what really matters often in the way we live our lives. We, live to, we should live to please the one who created us. Please the one who loves us, who died in our place, and is coming back soon to take us home. It's not about us, not about our comfort, not about our agenda, not about our name being magnified. It's about His name being magnified. It's not about somebody else recognizing the hard work I'm doing for the Lord. If you're doing it for the Lord, it shouldn't matter if anybody else notices it or not. Because you're doing it for Him. And He notices. And He's the only one that matters. We need to get to that point where we grasp this basic understanding that... And once we do, understanding that our lives are to be lived for Christ and that He's the only one that matters, then guess what? All the instructions in the Word of God will start to make sense. Because He's telling us, don't pursue that worldly pleasure that will destroy you. Pursue Me, I'll give you abundant life. Don't pursue that very thing that will destroy your marriage. 
That very thing that will destroy your testimony before the world, pursue me. Let's take a look, beginning in verse 3, or verse 2. He's going to start talking about how they live living lives that are sanctified to the Lord. Because you know what? The Bible tells us sin is pleasurable for a season. But not, it's not for long. You're going to wake up with a hangover the next day. You're going to realize again that you've missed out on God's highest. Man who lives to please God discovers what he was created for. Man who lives to please himself will never have peace. Look at verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Where does he take them? To the Word of God. You know what the Word of God says. We brought you the Word of God. Live holy. It's not the ten suggestions. It's the living, breathing Word of God. Guys, God didn't give us a Bible to keep us from having fun. He gave us the Word of God to keep us from harm. To keep us from being hurt. To keep us from blowing our testimony and going through heartache. I've never obeyed the Word of God and regretted it. But I've disobeyed it and regretted it every single time. And so God's heart, and that's what what Paul is saying here, is remember the commandments I gave to you. They're not up for negotiation. The word commandment there is a military term. You know, a general giving an order to a private. Is that like negotiable? Private go, no, I I don't know if I want to... That's not working out so well. They'll bring the MPs in and drag your tail off to the brigade, right? That's what will happen, right? You mean the brig, right? The point is that when God gives us a command, it's because He knows what's best and we need to learn to trust Him. Even if you don't understand, trust Him. Amen? Let's take a look here. He says to abstain. And I'll tell you what, this is an epidemic. Not only in the world, but in the church today. Not only unbelievers who struggle with these things, but Christians as well. How do we handle the Word of God? You know what? The way you handle the Word of God will tell me and will tell the Lord what you think about the God of the Word. If you mishandle the Word of God, you don't know the God of the Word. If you start watering it down, the Word of God, as we've talked about, is under attack. People are watering it down. More and more denominations keep coming out saying, well, we don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the only way. And yet you continue to call yourself a Christian church. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. The point is, He is the only way. And if you say anything less than that, you don't know the God of the Bible. And how we handle the Word of God tells us how much we know about the God of the Word and how intimate we have a relationship with Him. So now here's the Word of God coming, and it's going to be straight, and we're going to deal with this in a very direct way. I know it's hard for you to imagine that we would do that, but take a look here. Because God's desire is that we live life sanctified unto Him, to know the will of God, to live a life pleasing unto Him, and we do that through obedience. Look at verse 3. For this is the will of God. You ever wonder, what's the will of God? How do I know the will of God for my life? Here it is. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What does sanctification mean? To be set apart. Sanctified, set apart from the world and unto God. So, does this kind of blow holes in all these ministries going around saying, we need to assimilate to the world? No, this is the will of God, your sanctification, be set apart from the world. Who's right? God's word every time, amen? We're to be in the world, but not of it. And it's our sanctification set apart from the world and unto the Lord. We're to be radically different than the world. Amen? We shouldn't try to conform the church so the world feels comfortable. If the world feels comfortable at your church, you're not preaching the gospel. Amen? Amen? You're not delivering the word of God. Do it in love. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. 
We don't self-righteously preach at anybody. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. That's who we are. Sinners saved by grace, everybody in this room, amen? And so we deliver it with grace, but we deliver the truth, and we don't apologize for it. Look what he says. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Uh Uh-oh. You know what? In the time of the Thessalonians, sexual immorality was a way of life. It was a common practice within their culture. They actually had to be a part of their worship service. They would be joined to prostitutes, then joining to their God. There were large numbers of slaves, so the people were freed up to have as much pleasure as they wanted. And so for the world in that time, everybody was sexually immoral, and anybody who said anything about it must be out of their mind. What does that sound like? The world we live in today. We went from being immoral, which means we had a moral standard and people just chose to break it, to being amoral, which means we don't have any morals and the only people that catch heat are the people that have them. Well, man, you're being so self-righteous. and Oh, man, come on, man. Live and let live. It's 2006, man. Just get with it. How's that working out for you, all that sexual immorality anyway? Not too good. And the sad part is he's saying abstain from it. The Christian message is that we are to live holy, completely foreign to the culture we live in. And these new believers are surrounded by temptation. The message of abstinence that they were speaking was no doubt mocked, much as it is today. You talk about wanting to bring abstinence messages into a high school. What do they do? They mock you. Oh, the kids are going to sleep around. There's nothing you can do about that. You just have to, you know, give them the, the condoms they need so no one will get pregnant, you know? I said, why don't we just hand out flock jackets to gangbangers then? That just makes a lot of sense. Well, they're going to shoot each other anyway, so let's just protect them. That's not it. We need to see lives transformed and preach the truth, amen? Even if nobody's doing it, preach it anyway. And he says, abstain from sexual immorality. The word abstain, I love this, means make a clean break. There's some people in in a... Room this size, there are people in this room live in sexually immoral relationships right now. The Lord loves you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Make a clean break today. Amen? Amen. You'll be blessed. He's a great and awesome God. He'll forgive you and He'll restore you. Christians are to be sanctified, set apart from such behavior, to live pure and holy apart from the sexual immorality of the world. I know it's often easier said than done. The word there for sexual immorality is pornea. Where we get the word pornography. Let me just make this really clear. God's plan is one man with one woman for a lifetime. Sex in any other relationship than that is ungodly. Period. But yeah, well, I got this thing and it's... No. The word for sexual immorality can also mean fornication, adultery, homosexuality, or pornography. If you're, first of all, if you're not married, you need to be waiting until you are. And if you are married, the only person you should ever be looking at is your spouse. Period. I have guys say, well, you know, just because I'm on a diet doesn't mean I can't look at the menu. <laughs> ever heard that one? I'm just, I'm just, you know... Uh, adoring God's creation. 
Dude, put your eyes back. At, get your eyes on the Lord and on your wife. Amen? Amen. Sexual immorality is to put your eyes... You know what? The only person you should see... And then I'm, I'm being direct, but the only person you see naked is your spouse. Period. Why in the world would you go to a movie to see someone else up on a screen that doesn't have any clothes on? How in the world is that honoring to God? And guys, don't be lying, because if you look at that, it causes triggers to go off in you. Amen or not? So guys, don't. And put down whatever needs to be put in place to stay away from that stuff. You know, I was a men's ministry pastor in San Jose, and very rarely did a week go by when a man didn't come up to me and tell me he was struggling with pornography. You know why? Because the access to it is so easy. Guy who would never take money and go down to a video store and get an X-rated movie or ever go into a strip club, but you know what? You put it in. He's, he's there doing his finances late at night, and up pops a screen, and he clicks on it, and there it is. And you know what? We need to take whatever measures are necessary to keep from going down that road. Amen. You know what? If you struggle with it, get rid of your stinking computer. Amen. Oh, but I need my computer. No, you need your wife and your marriage and your relationship with God a lot more than your computer. Amen. Amen? If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. He says, sexual immorality. Get away from it. Abstain from it. Make a clean break. We need to make a clean break. But, you know, we're in love. You know what? If he loved you, he'd wait. Amen? He's not in love. He's in lust. He's in heat. Slow down. Put a fire hose on him. Tell him to go sit down. I used to tell girls in the youth group that when I was a youth pastor. Oh, he tells me he's in love. You know what? Next time he says that, have him call me. We'll talk about it. <laughs> no way. You know what the world's pursuing? It's whose pleasure is the world pursuing in lust? Itself. It's all about me. What can you do for me? And as soon as someone else can do more for me, I'm going to get rid of you. That's how it works when it's lust. It's self-centered, self-focused. For this is the will of God, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Your vessel is speaking there of your body. And that our bodies, we should be able to live in them and have them in total submission to the Lord, sanctified and set apart unto God. As Christians, we should have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Many of you have heard my illustration, sex is like fire. In your fireplace, it's good. Like marriage. Sex and marriage is wonderful. God blesses it. By the way, I've been direct, I might as well keep being direct. If you're married, you should not withhold from each other because that is, makes a way for temptation for the enemy to get in there and draw your spouse away. I didn't hear anything with that. This is a fact. You know, the devil wants nothing more than to have sex outside of marriage and destroy sex within marriage. That's what he wants to do. And we should never do that. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to bring division and divide you and your spouse. But sex, again, it's like fire. Because sex in marriage is good, and and fire in your fireplace is good. It warms your house. You can cook by it, right? Sex in the right place, good. Fire in the right place, good. Fire in your drapes burns your house down. (laughs) Sex outside of marriage will destroy your home. Destroy it. Guys, don't dabble in it. Don't, Don't have a... You need to make a covenant with your eyes. 
We must be like Daniel, the purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves. And again, we see here that he says to possess your own vessel, your own body, and do it with honor. And guys, we shouldn't be entertained, as I said, by the very sins. We shouldn't say, well, I'm not participating. You know, I have a hard time finding, I don't, I don't know how there's a whole lot of books out there that you read that aren't filled with sexual immorality. Every TV show, somebody's sleeping with somebody they're not married to. I know, well, Pastor Dave, that's just, man, well, you know, I can't watch anything then. Well, okay. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That just nauseates me every time I see those commercials. Come and fornicate, no one will know. Commit adultery, it's going to be great. They ought to show the, the guy six months later in divorce court, wife taking all of his stuff and his kids not liking him anymore in those commercials. Because they never show the consequences of sin. They just show, oh yeah, it's wonderful. We've been so desensitized. It's in that day as in this day that the people were so caught up in it. And God has called us to live not like the world, but for God. We're to be separated from the world and its corruption. Look at this, it says there in verse 5. It says, not in passion of lust, as I did, we were just talking about. That word lust, again, is self-centered. What can you do for me? We are saints. We're to be sanctified, set apart unto the Lord. And this lust is something that draws us away from God and focuses only on our flesh. We're to be driven, not by fleshly desires, but led by the Holy Spirit. Guys, you know when it's your flesh speaking, don't you? And God brings a way of escape. He says, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You know what lust is? It's the fruit of a, an ungodly life. That's what it is. And we see that this is an epidemic even within the church. Look at guys like David. Man, for God's own heart, what happened? He didn't go out to war like he was supposed to. He's getting up in the middle of the day. That's not good, by the way. If you're getting up at noon, not good. You better be working graveyard you're getting up at noon. So he gets up. He goes out on the rooftop, looks out, sees the woman. Guess what? Adultery. After adultery, murder. How did it all start? He wasn't where he should have been to begin with. The point is that within the church today, we need to be careful. Because the temptation is so strong. It's so strong that people will give up 30 years of marriage and destroy their family for 30 minutes of pleasure. How strong must it be for people to do that? But they do it. I'll never forget a coworker. I'm, I'm almost done, really, okay? I'll never forget a coworker that lost his job making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year because he couldn't stop looking at pornography at work. I'm like, dude, how strong does that thing have a hold of you? He ended up losing his house, everything. It's just amazing. But God says of us as believers, we are not to be caught up in that. That lust, you know what's interesting? The word lust in Greek means passion or suffering. And you know what? It's both. If everyone else is doing it, it's not an excuse for us to follow suit. Last couple of verses. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of such as we also forewarned you and testified. You know what? When you commit sexual immorality, you are defrauding your brother. That's what the Bible's saying right here. When I, if I go out and commit sexual, if I go out and commit adultery, I'm defrauding my wife and my family. If I go out and I'm not married and I have sex outside of marriage, I'm defrauding the person that I am sleeping with because I'm not married to them. 
I'm also defrauding the person I'm going to marry one day and the kids I'm going to have. He's telling them that sexual immorality, we defraud our brother. And then it says, and here's some reasons real quick and we'll close with this. Here's four quick reasons on why you should not commit, uh, along with everything we've already said, sexual immorality. Look at number one. Number one is, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. You think you're getting away with it? You're going to answer to God one day if you haven't already. God knows. You might think you're getting... And by the way, God's patience is not God's permission. Amen? Well, we've been doing this for years and nothing's happened. Wow, God's been patient. Get right before, he, before you get left. Amen? You know the problem in society today? There's no fear of God. People don't really believe they're ever going to be accountable for their actions. They think they can just live a simple life as they want and nothing will ever happen. But the truth is, we'll all stand before God one day. And you know what? Often, the consequences come now. Look at verse 7. For God did not call us... It says, We also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. You know what? God called us to live holy lives. And when we live unholy lives, we are blowing our testimony and we are breaking fellowship with God. When you choose to sleep with someone you're not married to, you're breaking fellowship with God and you're blowing your testimony before the world. Guys, it's not worth it. Last verse. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us the Holy Spirit. When you choose to live contrary to God's commands, you're not rejecting men, you're rejecting God. And He's the one you'll have to deal with. And then it says there, who has given us the Holy Spirit. Here's the way that we can live holy lives. Because we can't do it on our own. Amen? That's why He gave us the Holy Spirit. The reason that we can walk away from that, that temptation, the reason we don't have to look at that TV screen or look at that video screen or take that second look at the girl on the beach or whatever it might be, is the Holy Spirit is within us convicting us and telling us, turn away. We don't have to do it. God has not given us temptation that we can't overcome. But He gives us the way of escape. Amen? So, I didn't get anywhere near as far as I thought I was going to. That's the great thing about teaching verse by verse. We can just pick up next week. Now, by way of review, we need to learn to heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you guys. We need to know that we're doing well. If you're here and you're doing well, praise God. But you know what? God wants to do more in us. You may abounding in love. He wants you to abound more. You may be faithful in serving God. He wants to do greater things in you. You may be using your gifts for His kingdom. He wants to stir them up and use them in an even greater way. God's not looking for ability, you guys, but availability. He just wants people to say, Lord, I'm right here. And may we, may we be encouraged by the exhortation to live lives that are pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your love and Your grace. We thank you, Lord, for what I know for some people in the room was a heavy word this morning. But Lord, I also know that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And I pray that there would be many today that would get right with you. Lord, knowing that you're a loving and a gracious God, you're not waiting to, to wrap them on the ankles with a club, but you've got your arms stretched out to give them a hug because you love them. And Lord, I pray that whatever struggles we may be going through, that we'd get right with you before we leave today. We'd come and pray with a pastor. We'd pray with another person here. Just confess our struggle. 
Lord, we're all sinners, and we're all in desperate need of you. May we not be so prideful that we don't confess the struggles that are going on in our life. Lord, I pray that you'd stir us up, you'd do more with each of us as individuals, and you'd do more with this church, Lord, because it's yours, and that you would be glorified in all that happens here, that lives would be impacted. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close with a...